in our lives, we think that we can ignore the mess that's going on underneath the surface. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we'll actually get better with time if you just let it go and just let it linger there. We'll get past it. We'll heal from it. Time heals all wounds. It doesn't. I can tell you that it doesn't. I can tell you that it, I, I can tell you that that sitting across to someone who's been married for 40 years and be getting divorced, I can tell you that time doesn't heal all wounds. I can tell you that there comes a point where 40 years into it, you're like, this ain't healed, and I'm out, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Time doesn't heal all wounds. But for most of us, we are okay sweeping things under the rug. We are okay hiding things in the closet. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm the kind of person that likes to find a drawer or a, a, a closet of some sort that I can just throw everything into, <laughs> right? And, and I'm hoping that no one opens it. I have one in this house, and I'm not going to tell you because I don't want everything to burst out. <laughs> When I'm cleaning up for this, this house church, I want it to look nice and clean, right? But I'm like seven stuff. <laughs> Jenny don't know where it's at. Because if she knew where it's at, that thing would be spick and span, in and through. I remember growing up, and I used to have to clean my room. And I was the kind of person where when I would clean my room, I would throw everything under my bed. And whatever didn't fit under my bed, I would throw it into my closet. Then I'm going to have like some nice smell good candles, <laughs> candles in. I mean, I mean, you would walk in and you'd be like, ooh, this looks good. Smelling good. No, I didn't do Febreze because that just, that's musty. It wasn't a musty smell. See, I, I see, you know you're doing something when you know how to make it seem like it's clean. You ain't doing nothing if it's still musty. We have gotten good at making our lives seem good on the outside. We smell good, boy. We Y'all look good. Y'all know how to do it. Y'all know how to put them things on and, and put that stuff on and smell all good and nice and look all good. And, and, and not even people will never know that there's some mess that you're carrying. And that was me cleaning my room. I used to look down on my friends because I would go and their room just be as junky as that. I'm like, man, you need to get this together. It just stinks. <laughs> <laughs> stinks in here. <laughs> then, I'll, then I'd go home to my room and stuff be all messy. I just do my little, do my cleaning, right? That's the way that I used to clean my room for most of my life. Now, don't believe the unspoken lie. The unspoken lie is this, that somehow, some way, it'll make me feel better if I just brush this off for later, for another time. If I just, if I just don't deal with this right now, I'll be in a better space later to be able to deal with this stuff. Maybe it's some sin that, that, that at this point you're not just struggling with, you've normalized it and welcomed it into a regular part of your life. 
or, or maybe it's just some past hurt, something that happened that, that haunts you to this day, and, and you just don't want to deal with it. Not right now. Mm-mm. I know I'll deal with that. I'll make sure I get myself together, but, but it ain't going to be right now. Maybe it's a, a family relationship or, or something that happened between friends or, or whatever it is, but you have swept it under the rug or pushed it into some closet. We've literally convinced ourselves that our messes somehow are easier to address um, when the longer we let them sit in our lives. When does a mess become easier to deal with just because you let it sit longer? So I want you to write this down. If you don't deal with your mess, your mess will deal with your future. If you don't, I love clapping when I, <laughs> if you don't deal with your mess, <laughs> your mess will deal with your future. And Paul understood this. Paul understood that if I don't deal with the mess that's going on in the church in Corinth, it's going to mess up the future of the gospel that we're trying to spread all over the world. It's going to mess with us in here today, that if he would have never addressed it, it would have never been there for us to know, hey, you shouldn't be doing that either. So literally the future of the church was at stake. So he had to address it. So he writes 1 Corinthians, and of course, 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 are greetings and salutations. <laughs> then he gets to chapter 3 and he lets them have it. So let's read it. You love that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. You want to read it together or you want me to read it? <laughs> Y'all know I'm getting sick. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Now stop. When he was with them, what time was he with them? Right as they were converting into Christians, right as, of, right as they were becoming followers of Jesus. So they were very new to this whole Jesus stuff. And so he says, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Let's keep going. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food. Because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you still are controlled by your sinful nature. He says you're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people in the world? Y'all being real petty right now. Are you mean to tell me that you're jealous over this and over that? You mean to tell me that you're starting arguments over this and that? Don't they do that in the world? Aren't you supposed to be different? This is what Paul is dealing with. He's like, let me let, me let y'all know something. And he's not just thinking, well, there's just little, you know, just little stuff's going on. Just give it time. Let them work it out. It, it'll be all right. He understands that if you don't deal with something small, it becomes bigger. <laughs> Have you convinced yourself that the mess in your life is not that big of a deal? Have you convinced yourself 
that the stuff that you're dealing with is not, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, I know it's important, but it's not that big of a deal. I mean, come on. But you're thinking, okay, Paul, you're being a little dramatic, right? You're being real, you're being real deep because grace is enough. Grace is, is, is good, right? We're, we're going to be okay because God's grace is here and he's going to carry us through and, and it's all going to be good. And I want you to write this down. The second thing I want you to write down, God's grace is always enough. We don't even have to talk about that. God's grace is always enough, but God's grace is never an excuse. God's grace is always enough, but it is never an excuse to not deal with the mess in your life. So you can, you can embrace his grace. You can, you can sing about his grace and welcome his grace and, and walk in his grace. It's beautiful. I love it. I thank God for it. I wouldn't be here without it. But it is not an excuse to have unresolved, unaddressed mess in your life. We believe that the God, that there's a God, first of all, and that this God created the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, just think about creation. How powerful of a God, that the, how powerful does God have to be to, to put all of this stuff into place? He literally created everything. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, right? And then that same God raised Jesus from the dead. He was dead and gone, and, and he came back to life. How powerful is God, right? He's powerful. But guess what? That same God who created the earth, who spoke it into existence, who raised Jesus from the dead, is also living inside of you. How does that change things for you? Oftentimes, we reduce the God that is living inside of us we disassociate him from the God who created the world. Somehow, some way, he is less than or not as powerful as the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Somehow, some way, he's not as important or not as in control as someone who spoke the world into existence. He's somehow less than. Yeah, I know God's living in me, but... <laughs> He's not as powerful as the, you know, the real God, right? <laughs> he's just a smaller God. No, he's not. <laughs> and so Paul's addressing all of the mess that's going on. And of course, you know, there's probably somebody there who's like, don't judge me. You can't judge me, you know, and, and we got that. You know, somebody here is like, listen, you, don't gotta, you ain't judge me, though. And so Paul talks about that. He gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in the ninth verse, and he says this. This is in the message version. He said, I wrote you in my earlier letter that you shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing to do at all with outsiders of that sort or with crooks whether blue or white collar, or with spiritual phonies for that matter. You'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I am saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is prom prom promiscuous or crooked. 
is split with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. I'm not responsible for what the outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? Let's keep going. God decides on the outsiders, but we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and, if necessary, clean house. And I'm sure y'all looking like, yeah, we need to clean that house over there. Somebody need to sweep all through that church because I know what they're doing over there down the street. I know that. I saw that pastor, and I know what David, I know what he's doing. I saw that member over there. I know what he's doing. (laughs) But let me ask you this. What if your life is not all that it could be because you haven't let God clean your house? What if what God wants to do is sweep all in through your house? God wants to get under the rug, under the bed, in the closet. He wants to get all up and through all of that gook, all of that stuff that you hide, all the, the nicks and the crannies and the crevices. He wants to get all of that. And he wants to clean it up. But let's just be honest. Most, many of us are ashamed of the mess that's in our, in our closet. We're ashamed. And Kip, do you believe that the enemy has convinced us that we have to be ashamed of the things that we are carrying inside of us? The enemy is trying to rob you of true joy in Christ Jesus because he's trying to make you think you've got to be guilty and ashamed of the mess that you're carrying. And maybe you created the mess. Or maybe you didn't. You may not know that our church has core values. I need a tissue. This is the devil's trying to defeat me. <laughs> you may not know that our church has core values. One of those core values is real people aren't afraid of being honest. We talk a lot about I'm keeping it real, right? Oh, I'm real. I'm a real one. But most of the people who are saying I'm real aren't honest. You're not honest. <laughs> you might be real. In, in other words, you mean that you're outspoken. In other words, you mean that you're aggressive. <laughs> That's what real has come to mean in our society. But it doesn't mean honesty. But one of our core values is that real people aren't afraid of being honest. And sometimes that doesn't come with aggression or, or just like <laughs> just keeping it real. Ugh. Like That's not what real is. <laughs> real is honesty. <laughs> Like, you can be gentle and be honest, and that's real. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, but that's we, we want this church to be a place where we are real and honest about where we are. And the enemy would love for you to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and, and, and lust and perversion and all of the things that, th- that you're carrying, all of the mess that's going on inside of you. The enemy would just love for you to hang on to that for fear of being judged or fear of, of, of being exposed. 
But you know what happens when, when, when you allow the enemy to, to make you think that way. You, you allow him to put you in a self-isolating prison. And there's no escape from that. Although there is an escape, you won't ever find it because you've allowed him to imprison you. It's interesting because Paul is like giving it to them. He's like telling them, what, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to stop doing. He does it in First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Like he's going in. But then something happens. He starts to transition. And I thought this was like super interesting because as I'm reading through this, I'm like, okay, he's telling to do this. Wow, like y'all need to get this. Y'all need to have some type of sexual standard. Some type of sexual, some type of sexual boundary, right? There are boundaries for sex. I'm going to get an amen in here somewhere. There are boundaries for sex. Oh. (laughs) Jesus. There are boundaries for sex. In, in the context of marriage, and even within marriage, there, there, there are boundaries for sex. Okay? And so many, don't, don't. <laughs> Y'all playing. <laughs> he's, he's trying to clean house. And so lust and perversion and pornography are not welcome. They're not welcome. They're not welcome! (laughs) Jesus. So Paul is telling them all of this. He's like, y'all, this is unacceptable for the church, for the people of God. Not because you're supposed to act like you're better than everybody else. No, 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 no. Hang with eight outsiders. Let them know that you love them. Don't judge them, all that. This is, but there is a standard within the body of Christ so that we can be a light. Then he transitions in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he starts talking about the resurrection. He goes from, like, talking, like, all this stuff to how, you know, what you need to do and what you need to not do, right? And then he gets into 15, and he's like, but Jesus rose from the grave. And I was like, Paul, what is wrong with you? You're just, like, all over the place. I've been trying to follow you in Acts, but you're, like, going all over these places. And now you're in Corinthians, and you're going off on a tap, and now you're talking about the rest. What's going on? And then it hit me. It hit me because he's telling them all of the stuff that's wrong with them. He's telling them everything that they need to fix. And just in case they started to lose hope, he said, but Jesus rose from the dead. He's like, listen, just in case you think that I'm coming down on you, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to lose hope because Jesus is alive. And so everything hinges on this resurrection, and he talks about it. Look at what he says. This is so good, y'all. He says, and why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? 
I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I would do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts in Ephesus? He's in Ephesus right now. And he's like hoping it wouldn't be the end of me. Not on your life. It's resurrection. Resurrection. Always resurrection that undergirds what I do and the way that I live. Can you say that about your own life? That it's resurrection. It's resurrection. It's resurrection. It's there's hope for my situation. It's I'm not going to struggle with this every day of my life. It's no, this is not normalized in my life. God's spirit lives in me. It's resurrection. He said it's resurrection that undergirds what I do, what I say, and the way that I live. Can you say that about your own life? That it's resurrection that undergirds what I do, what I say, and how I live my life. When you're looking at that mess, there's moments where you're confronted with that mess. Because guess what? That mess doesn't leave you alone. That mess waits till you're alone. And then that mess will show up like, hey, you forgot? (laughs) What's the move? What are we doing tonight? <laughs> and is it resurrection that undergirds what you do, what you say, and how you live? When that mess rises up and tries to torment you, tries to say, you are nothing, you are worthless, you will always be bound by this. Is it resurrection that undergirds what you do, what you say, and how you live? No, I won't be bound by this. No, I won't struggle with this because Jesus got up. He said, why do you think I keep risking my neck (laughs) out here in these streets preaching all this stuff? You think I do this just because... I like to do it? No. It's resurrection that's giving me hope. It's resurrection that's driving me. It's the fact that I stood in face of in the face of Jesus. He looked me in my eye and I went blind because of the glory of God that I was standing in the middle of. He said my life was changed forever by this Jesus who I saw, who I wanted to persecute. I wanted to kill y'all, Christians. But my life has changed. So he comes down on them, telling them all this stuff, and he's like, but don't cry, don't, don't. Because you know what happens when everybody points out everything wrong with your life? Not only do you want to punch them in the face, but it's like, <laughs> just you just feel hopeless. Like, And it's the kind of hopeless where it's like, well, whatever then. <laughs> let's just go on and do it then. If that's what I am and that's what I'm doing, then we're just going to ride this thing till the wheels fall off. Forget it. And just in case somebody's there, he's like, but resurrection. Your situation doesn't end here. It's not the end here. Jesus got up. Look at what else he says. If there's no resurrection, what we eat, we drink, We eat, we drink, the next day we die. And that's all there is to it. But don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. Bad company ruins good manners. There's there's a mentality that is anti-resurrection. 
that we embrace as our own. And you know what it says? You're always going to be like this. You're always going to struggle with this. You're always going to deal with this particular sin. You're always going to be haunted. You can't forgive that person. You can't let that go. You can't move on. That's anti-resurrection talk. That's still in the grave Jesus talk. He ain't in the grave no more, though. So all of that stuff is, is, is over and done with. Yes, you can let it go. Yes, you can get past it. Yes, you can be free. Then he says, I love this so much. He says, think straight. Awaken to the holiness of life. And it's this idea that, that holiness, there's a, there's a holiness of life. It's almost a joy in life that you're missing because of a lack of holiness that is not achieved by your own efforts, but it's achieved because of the resurrection. It's not a do better, try harder, think smarter. It is a let God do what he wants to do in your life. Stop hanging on to the stuff that you think, no, but you can't, you can't have this. Because what if people find out? What if everybody knows about my stuff and my, my struggle? What, what, if, what if they see me different than, than what I present to the world? What if they don't see the Facebook me anymore? What if they actually see the wake up in the morning me? <laughs> says, wake up to the holiness of life. You will wreck your life holding on to mess. The only thing that's going to happen is if it, when you keep this mess, is it's going to marinate. It's going to marinate into your potential. And your future is just not going to taste that great. You ever marinated something for a really long time? That's how you know it's going to be good. But what if you marinated a really good piece of meat and poop? <laughs> and then slow cook it. Oh man, you got the best piece of meat ever. And you just got a lit you just got a little pocket of poop in there and it's been marinating. That thing slow cooks and you pull that thing out and you take a bite. What y'all talk about? Ew, that's how we live our lives. <laughs> you marinating a good piece of poop <laughs> with all of the potential that God has placed inside of you. And you're walking towards your destiny into your purpose like, taste me. <laughs> I want the world to get a piece of what God is doing with me. <laughs> Don't nobody want a little piece of poop. <laughs> You might look good on the outside, but first of all, you stink, and <laughs> you taste like... <laughs> For, forget what people think about you. Listen, listen, listen. Forget what people think about you. I don't care if they're in this room. Forget what people think about you. I don't care what you think about me. And you've got to get to that place. We say that, oh, I don't care what nobody think of. You don't, you, yes, you do. Yes, you do. 
You care. You care. Because I see you on Facebook. You care what people think about you. But, but there's a place. If we ever got to the place where we didn't mind addressing the mess, we could transform lives. We could heal the world one mess at a time. <laughs> Your greatest victory over the enemy is found in the areas of your life that you like to avoid. You're robbing yourself of your greatest triumph over the enemy by avoiding these areas in your life that you just, I'll deal with that later. I'll have to forget. What if somebody finds out about that? Why would you rob yourself of your greatest vi victory? It's like you've been fighting all your life, and now you're in the championship match, and you just throw your hands up and get knocked out. I mean, you're right at the greatest. That's the, that's the time where you need to pull through. God's going to do his best work in the areas of your life that you want to hide the most. God's going to give you the, the, the sweetest victory over the areas of your life that you just don't like the taste <laughs> What if we let them in? What, what, what if? What if we actually became the church that I'm preaching about? Do you think that we'd be able to win somebody? This broken community of people with these stories and all this mess. But we have this hope because of resurrection. 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 